Hello world, this is Roger Corvale and this is For the Hope. Here we read through the Bible conversationally, talk about the truth claims of Christianity, and learn to fall more in love with Jesus and the people in his world. You ready? Let's roll. Welcome. If you've ever wondered if you have a mission, a calling from God, today's reading, at least to me, includes one of the most poignant passages in all of Scripture. Hey, Hopeful, welcome to For the Hope's Daily Audio Bible, where we read through every word of God's revelation of himself scripturally and consider our own life and work stories in light of that, including something that happens in both work and in life, which is pain, suffering, struggle. And how that relates to your mission, we will come back to briefly in our closing reflection segment, including perhaps even a little tie-in with Job. Today, though, we kick off for our New Testament segment, 2 Corinthians. So it's about 55 or 56 AD. uh, Paul's in Macedonia, a bit north of Greece. Some folks think that it's about a year after he wrote the first letter to the church in Corinth in Greece. And he wrote that, you'll remember, not long after he had started that church or that church had been started, so which was, I don't know, nine months or something. So it's less than a couple years later. And some have thought that this time may have been a tense one between Paul and the Corinthians and that this letter is helping to prepare them for him visiting them again. Second Corinthians chapter 1. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God at Corinth with all the saints who are throughout Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that you share in the sufferings so you will also share in the comfort. We don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength so that we even despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death so that we would not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a terrible death and he will deliver us. We have put our hope in him that he will deliver us again while you join in helping us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on your behalf for the gift that came to us through the prayers of many. Indeed, this is our boast. The testimony of our conscience is that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially toward you with godly sincerity and purity, not by human wisdom, but by God's grace. For we are writing nothing to you other than what we can read and also understand. I hope you will completely understand, just as you have partially understood us, that we are your reason for pride, just as you also are ours 
in the day of our Lord Jesus. Because of this confidence, I planned to come to you first, so that you could have a second benefit, and to visit you on my way to Macedonia, and then come to you again from Macedonia and be helped by you on my journey to Judea. Now when I planned this, was I of two minds? Or what I plan, do I plan in a purely human way, so that I say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus, Timothy, and I, did not become yes and no. On the contrary, in him it is always yes. For every one of God's promises is yes to him. Therefore, through him, we also say, Amen to the glory of God. Now it is God who strengthens us together with you in Christ who, and who has anointed us. He has also put his seal on us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a down payment. I call on God as a witness on my life that it was to spare you that I did not come to Corinth. I do not mean that we lorded over your faith, but we are workers with you for your joy because you stand firm in your faith. In fact, I made up my mind about this. I would not come to you on another painful visit. For if I cause you pain, then who will cheer me up other than the one being hurt by me? I wrote this very thing so that when I come, I wouldn't have pain from those who ought to give me joy, because I am confident about all of you that my joy will also be yours. For I wrote to you with many tears out of an extremely troubled and anguished heart, not to cause you pain, but you, that you should know the abundant love I have for you. 1 Corinthians 1, and that gets us up through chapter 2, verse 4. Isn't that beautiful? That, like, we had to take care of some business because I love you and want you to experience joy. That's a crazy idea. Well, Turning back to our Old Testament segment, we hit kind of a second part of a pivotal part of the book of Job. You'll recall that on Saturday, uh, we read through chapter 28, where which was kind of this really cool poem with Job's meditations on wisdom. And in that monologue, Job is understood as addressing his friends still. But now each passage is building toward his desired confrontation with God. So we're now into his final, like, soliloquy, his final speech. And you'll hear him kind of like recount his former blessed life in society and then lament his present state of undeserved societal rejection. And then and finally, he offers up this series of theologians call imprecations, self-imprecations to challenge his guiltiness in order to force God to reply. So sit tight. We're going to take that and tie it into that thing we just heard in 1 Corinthians. But in the meantime, this is Job's final speech in beginning in chapter 29. Job continued his discourse saying, if only I could be as in months gone by, in the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone above my head and I walked through darkness by his light. 
I would be as I was in the days of my youth when God's friendship rested on my tent, when the Almighty was still with me and my children were around me, when my feet were bathed in curds and the rock poured out of streams of oil for me. When I went out to the city gate and took my seat in the town square, the young men saw me and withdrew, while older men stood to their feet. City officials stopped talking and covered their mouths with their hands. The noblemen's voices were hushed, and their tongues stuck to the roof of their mouths. And when they heard me, they blessed me, and when they saw me, they spoke well of me. For I rescued the poor who cried out for help and the fatherless child who had no one to support him. The dying blessed me, and I made the widow's heart rejoice. I clothed myself in righteousness, and it enveloped me. My just decisions were like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy, and I examined the case of the stranger. I shattered the fangs of the unjust and snatched the prey from his teeth. So I thought, I will die in my own nest and multiply my days as the sand. My roots will have access to water and the dew will rest on my branches all night. My whole being will be refreshed within me, and my bow will be renewed in my hand. Men listened to me with, ex with expectation, waiting silently for my advice. After a word from me, they did not speak again. My speech settled on them like dew. They waited for me as for the rain, and, and opened their mouths as for the spring showers. If I smiled at them, they couldn't believe it. They were thrilled at the light of my countenance. I directed their course and presided as chief. I lived as a king among his troops, like one who comforts those who mourn. But now, now they mock me, men younger than I am, whose fathers I would have refused to put with my sheepdogs. What use to me was the strength of their hands. They, their vigor had left them. Emaciated from poverty and hunger, they gnawed the dry land, the desolate wasteland by night. They plucked mallow among the shrubs, and the roots of the broom tree were their food. They were banished from human society. People shouted at them as if they were thieves. They were living on the slopes of the wadis, among the rocks, and in the holes in the ground. They bray among the shrubs. They huddle beneath the thistles. Foolish men, without even a name, they were forced to leave the land. Now I am mocked by their songs. Their songs. I have become an object of scorn to them. They despise me and keep their distance from me. They do not hesitate to spit in my face because God has loosened my bowstring and oppressed me. They have cast off restraint in my presence. They're the rabble rise up at my right and they trap my feet and construct their siege wrap against me. They tear up my path. They contribute to my destruction without anyone to help them. They advance as though through a gaping breach. They keep rolling in through the ruins. Terrors are turned loose against me. They chase my dignity away like the wind, and my prosperity has passed by like the cloud. Now my life is poured out before me. The days of suffering have seized me. Night pierces my bones, but my gnawing pains never rest. My clothing is distorted with great force. He chokes me by the neck of my own garment. He throws me into the mud, and I have become like dust and ashes. I cry out to you for help, but you don't answer me. When I stand up, you merely look at me. You have turned against me with cruelty. You harass me with your strong hand. 
You lift me up on the wind and make me ride it. You scatter me in the storm. Yes, I know that you will lead me to death, the place appointed for all who live. Yet, no one would stretch out his hand against a ruined person when he cries out to him for help because of his distress. Have I not wept for those who have fallen on hard times? Has my soul not grieved for the needy? But when I hoped for good, evil came. When I looked for light, darkness came. I'm churning within and cannot rest. Days of suffering confront me. I walk about blackened, but not by the sun. I stood in the assembly and cried out for help. I've become a brother to jackals and a companion of ostriches. My skin blackens and flakes off, and my bones burn with fever. My lyre is used for mourning, and my flute for the sound of weeping. Chapter 31. Here's his argument. I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I look at a young woman? For what portion would I have from God above, or what inheritance from the Almighty on high? Doesn't disaster come to the unjust, and misfortune to evildoers? Does he not see my ways and number all my steps? If I have walked in falsehood, or my foot has rushed to deceit, let God weigh me on accurate scales. He'll recognize my integrity. If my step is turned from the way, my heart has followed my eyes, or impurity has stained my hands. Let someone else eat what I have sown, and let my crops be uprooted. If my heart has gone astray over a woman, or I have lurked at my neighbor's door, let my own wife grind grain for another man, or let another other men sleep with her. For what that for that would be a disgrace. It would be an iniquity deserving punishment. For it is a fire that consumes down to Abaddon. It would destroy my entire harvest. If I have dismissed the case of my male or female servants when they made a complaint against me, what could I do when God stands up to judge? How should I answer him when he calls to me on, to account? Did not the one who made me in the womb also make them? Did not the same God form us both in the womb? For if I have refused the wishes of the poor, or let the widow's eyes go blind, if I have eaten my few crumbs alone without letting the fatherless eat any of it. For from my youth I raised him as a father, and since the day I was born I guided the widow. If I have seen anyone dying for lack of clothing or a needing person without a cloak, if he did not bless me while, I, while warming myself with the fleece from my sheep, if I ever cast a vote against a fatherless child when I saw that I had support in the city gate, then let my shoulder blade fall from my back, and let my arm be pulled from its socket. For disaster from God terrifies me, and because of his majesty I could not do these things. If I placed my confidence in gold, or called fine gold my trust, if I have rejoiced because my wealth is great, or because my own hand has acquired so much, if I have gazed at the sun when it was shining, or at the moon moving in splendor so that my heart was secretly enticed, and I threw them a kiss, this would also be iniquity and deserving of punishment, for I would have denied God above. Have I rejoiced over my enemy's distress? become excited when trouble came his way? I have not allowed my mouth to sin by asking for his life with a curse. 
Haven't the members of my own household said, Who is there who has not had enough to eat at Job's table? No stranger had to spend the night on the street, for I opened my door to the traveler. Have I covered my transgressions as others do by hiding my iniquity in my heart because I greatly feared the crowds and because the contempt of the clans terrified me, so I grew silent and would not go outside? If only I had someone to hear my case. Here is my signature. Let the Almighty answer me. Let my opponent compose his indictment. I would surely carry it on my own shoulder and wear it like a crown. I would give him an account of all my steps. I would approach him like a prince. If my land cries out against me and its furrows join in weeping, if I have consumed its produce without payment or shown contempt for its tenants, let the thorns grow instead of wheat and stinkweed instead of barley. The words of Job are, are concluded. Well, there we go, my friends. I'm going to knock down a quickie wisdom segment or other wisdom segment here, Psalm 101, before my concluding thoughts on your mission. Psalm 101, Psalm of David, is a vow of integrity. Kind of appropriate. I will sing of faithful love and justice. I will sing praise to you, Lord. I will pay attention to the way of integrity. When will you come to me? I will live with a heart of integrity in my house. I will not let anything worthless guide me. I hate the practice of transgression. It will not cling to me. A devious heart will be far from me. I will not be involved with evil. I will destroy anyone who secretly slanders his neighbor. I cannot tolerate anyone with haughty eyes or an arrogant heart. My eyes favor the faithful of the land so that they may sit down with me. The one who follows the way of integrity may serve me. No one who acts deceitfully who will live in my palace. The one who tells lies will not be retrained here to guide me. Every morning I will destroy all the wicked of the land, wiping out all evildoers from the Lord's city. David takes a vow for... Uh, makes commitment to recommitment to justice right for our reflection segment let's kind of go i'm gonna go back to something job said particularly in that last last bit where he's kind of making his case um and then let's tie that back to that passage about your mission which fairly simply was just saying paul arguing that we have received something, therefore we can deliver something. We've received comfort, and now we can help others with the same comfort we ourselves have received. Commentary says this about that last chapter in Job we just read. Ancient Egyptian literature preserved examples of the negative confession, quote-unquote, the negative confession, a text in which a deceased person's spirit, facing divine judgment, claimed not to have committed sins described in a detailed list, and what we read when Job 31 was similar to these. Job claimed that he was not lustful or adulterous, he wasn't a swindler, he wasn't an unjust employer, he wasn't uncharitable, he wasn't greedy or idolatrous, he wasn't vindictive or cunning. 
And this negative confession, coming as it does at the very end of all his speeches, implies that Job believed death was near and wanted to end his life with a protest of innocence. And then he's done. But compare and contrast that. Remember, that's roughly 4,000 B.C., right? So naturally, just like you and I play in a piece of music that would have relevance in a contemporary way with the time that we live, he's doing this negative confession consistent with kind of one of the patterns of poetry that, that was back then. But when we get to Paul and this second letter to the Corinthians, a critical distinction here is that is that it's not about us protesting or being or having a mission because we're innocent but because we are forgiven god knows that you have a life that is first marked by the spirit of this age the brokenness of sin we have pain and suffering that obviously wasn't his intent right death isn't natural that wasn't that wasn't his design we don't have a testimony because we make claims to innocence or boasts like Job. We've been nice to old ladies and we don't have lust or greed or pride. No. We have a mission and a testimony because there is power in the Holy Spirit that is not our power. It's the Spirit's mission and we get to join. And you have a story that will be part of bringing life to others precisely because before we deliver we receive. I love you, my friends. Amen. Amen.